The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Now, John, as he's finishing up, I, I, I enjoy the ending as uh, the Bible is talking about John that would, would live on, that would live beyond the rest of the disciples. As we understand, the end of many of the disciples was to be martyred, was to be killed for the faith. We know that John, he was uh, dipped in oil, he was exiled to Patmos, but then on Patmos that God appeared to him through the Holy Spirit of God and gave him the book of Revelation, for which we get the end uh, of all things. And knowing that the Lord, aren't you glad for that book, that God finishes it out and says, hey, listen, uh, this is how it's all going to come to a close. This is uh, how, and boy, as Revelation comes to a close, don't we understand that eternity just opens wide open? And that's not the end. It's just the beginning. As we get to the end, we understand that we have a God who has no beginning and therefore has no end. And that as we get to the end of the Bible, we understand this eternal God is just bringing us to the point to the end of all these things, that he has purposed before the foundation of the world, that he might receive the glory. Uh, in us as he has made us. And uh, God comes to the end of uh, John in chapter number 21 here, and he, he gives us this story. And I think uh, there's three questions that's asked to Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But I want to focus really on three important questions that are here in the text that I think we all ought to consider. As we look at this passage, we kind of scratch our head as to what is going on here. We know that Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard all kinds of messages on this, whether it be, you know, Peter answered in phileo love, and uh, what Jesus was asking was for agape love, and you have to kind of be a Greek scholar to understand all of what was going on there. I don't really think that you need to be a Greek scholar, because I understand, although the Bible was uh, given in the originals in Greek, what Peter was speaking was Aramaic. Uh, it was not even Greek that he was speaking, and so whether or not we want to focus on the Greek and all those things, we understand originally Peter wasn't even speaking Greek, he was just speaking Aramaic, and the word for love wasn't that much different. As a matter of fact, it was kind of interchangeable. I don't think that God was trying to give him a lesson in semantics. I don't really believe that's the intention that's here, although I think that's a good application. I think sometimes we love God with our fleshly love, and we ought to love God with his love. Are you with me? And then uh, I've heard some things that, you know, Peter denied the Lord. And so there's three questions because he denied thrice that God asked him three times. And I've heard all those things, and I'm sure you have as well. And I'm not saying that those are wrong. As a matter of fact, they've ministered to me, and I think those are right. And I've taken those approaches as well in exegeting the text. But uh, what I'm saying tonight is I really want to focus on kind of the practical things that are here. What is God asking us? What is God uh, wanting to say to us today as we understand that this word is not just given to show us a conversation between Peter and Jesus, that this word is given to help us to consider why Jesus has transformed us at all. Why has Jesus, we talked about transformation last week, that we've been brought from death to life ultimately. That God transformed Thomas, and he transformed Peter, and he's transforming us. And aren't you glad for the transformation that's come to our life because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Boy, we need to change, don't we? And uh, boy, as I unearth and read the Bible and unearth more and more and more of how much I fall short in my flesh, and how there, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, I still scratch my head and wonder why he even loves me. How about you tonight? Other than he's just good, and he's God. And he's merciful, and I'm thankful for his grace tonight. But as we consider the text, I want you to look at the first question tonight. And the first question I want you to consider in this, uh, these first eight verses is, is Jesus your master? Is Jesus your master? Uh, Jesus was coming there to Peter and to the disciples that were there. Let's, uh, let's remember Peter was forgiven for his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's already been dealt with before we even get to chapter 21. Jesus has already forgiven Peter. But what hasn't happened is that Peter has not been restored back to his apostleship, back to his ministry, back to his calling. As a matter of fact, how many know that after you've been forgiven, sometimes you feel like you can't do anything? You with me? You ever do something and need forgiveness and you get forgiveness and then you feel after you've been forgiven that... Thankfully, you've been forgiven, but now you're disqualified from doing anything. You can't serve the Lord anymore because uh, you've done wrong. Well, you know, let me just help you tonight. That's a lie from the devil. God always restores us back to usefulness, doesn't he? 
He takes us from a position of disqualification. Hey, we disqualify ourselves, but what qualifies us for service is not us. It's God. God qualifies us. And as much as sometimes we do things that we're not proud of and we sin against God, thankful for His grace, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And when we do things that require forgiveness, God doesn't bench us. How many glad for that? That God doesn't put you on the bench and say, you can't be used anymore. You know know where that happens? Sometimes that happens in church. You know, somebody does something wrong and... You know, they need to forgive, uh, be forgiven, but doesn't the Bible say, ye which are spiritual, restore? You know what restoration means? That means putting it back in a position that's better than it was when you found it. You ever restore furniture? When you find a piece of furniture that needs to be restored, you go and then you make it better than it was when you found it. As a matter of fact, you give value to it that it didn't have before you found it. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? He takes us, and we were in a condition that's unusable. As a matter of fact, we were somebody's garbage. We were somebody's trash. We were unusable. We were undesirable. Nobody wanted us. We were on the curb. Doesn't it amaze you when somebody's able to take uh, somebody? Anybody? My mom was, was a notorious trash picker. She would embarrass us to death. We would be driving through someone's neighborhood. And, of course, we had this big old van we're driving through. It's already embarrassing. We've got this big old van, white stripe on the top, red stripe on the bottom, big old Chevy Buville van. We're driving through uh, people's neighborhoods, chugging along in this van. If you know my parents, you remember when we drove one of those things. But, and if you know my mom, boy, she's still to this day. If she drives through a neighborhood and sees something on the curb and it looks halfway decent, she's going to pick it up. And half the time, it wasn't ever for her. It was that she was picking it up with someone else in mind, that she thought, boy, somebody can use this. And always to my dad's dismay, uh, he didn't want to stop. He didn't want to listen. You know, it's somebody's trash. We don't want she. She was happy when she was driving because it meant there were more stops. She would stop at every garage sale. She would stop at every thrift store. She would stop at every listen. Drive purposely drive through neighborhoods where she knew people threw away good stuff. I, I mean, she just was looking to restore things. You know. How about maybe we understand that that's the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just driving through neighborhoods where people throw out things and looking to put them back together, looking to return them back to usefulness. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does. Listen, a lot of people would have left Peter on the boat naked. A lot of people would have left Peter on the bench and say, hey, there's no use for you anymore. I taught you, I trained you, three years of, I gave you my life, shame, shame on you, you're not worthy uh, to serve anymore, but not Jesus, not Jesus, Jesus unwilling to let Peter destroy himself, Jesus unwilling to let Peter go and spend the rest of his life fishing, now that's, for many of you, I'm sure sounds like a really good ending to the story, let me stay on the boat, let me fish out the rest of my life, I'd be happy doing it. But for Peter, it was not God's intention for him. For Peter, it was not God's will. For Peter, it was not God's plan. As a matter of fact, can we be reminded that Jesus came to Peter at the first and said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus was very clear from the beginning of Peter's uh, uh, calling, from the very beginning when he met Peter, that he no longer intended for him to be a fisher of fish, but that he was going to make him a fisher of men. God told him that. Boy, that's what your purpose is now, but I'm going to give you a new purpose, and there's nothing that can keep you from the purpose and intentions and the will that I have for you. Aren't you glad for God? That's what God does. God has a will for you. God has a purpose for you. Somebody might have thrown you out like yesterday's trash, but the Lord Jesus Christ saw the usefulness in you. And he forgave you and he restored you and he gave you a new purpose, not to go back to your old life, but to live out this life to the glory and the praise of the Father. God has called us to that. But here's the question, is Jesus your master? See, Peter couldn't go back to his fishing business because that would mean that now Peter was the boss again. Now Peter was calling his own shots. Now Peter was the one that was going to be doing what he thought he could do. How many of us... When we know God's called us to do something, God has empowered us and equipped us to do it. Sometimes we put ourselves in a position where 
we feel ourselves to be unuseful, so we put ourselves in that position. We just say, well, I just feel like I can't be used anymore, so I'll just kind of assign myself to what I can do in the flesh. You with me? That's what Peter did. Peter went back to doing what he was confident of doing in his flesh to do. Peter was confident as a fisherman. I'll tell you where he lacked confidence. He lacked confidence in his ability to do ministry. You know why? Because the last time he did ministry, he denied the Lord. The last time he did ministry, he spoke out of turn. The last time he did ministry, he embarrassed Christ. The last time he did ministry, he failed. Anybody ever fail? Let's be honest tonight. Anybody, any of us ever fail? Anybody ever, you know, been an embarrassment to the Lord? You know, in the way that we did something or didn't do something? In the way that we responded to something? We embarrassed the Lord. But we notice God and His mercy and His grace with His purposes in mind comes to Peter. I'm glad that He comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to decide that we're going to get ourselves off of the curb or off of the bench. He says, I'm coming to you. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Why? Because he had a plan. Boy, I'm coming to you. I'm coming. He went to the well and he waited for that woman, didn't he? He waited for her. He got where she was going before she got there. He knew where she was coming to. What was he doing? He was just waiting for her. Why was Jesus at the well? For the woman at the well. That's why he was there. Why did he cross over the other side to Gadara? For what we call the maniac of Gadara, for who God made the man, the witness, the minister of Gadara. God made him a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord clothed him and put him in his right mind. Such a transformation that God did in his life. But notice Jesus always went to them. Jesus comes to us, doesn't he? And he comes to you tonight, and he comes to me tonight. And he says, oh, well, you may feel disqualified, and you may feel like you've put yourself in a position of unusefulness, and you may have failed the last time you did ministry, but that doesn't mean I can't use you anymore. He wants to use us. The callings of God are without repentance. God calls us. Doesn't mean that we're going to always perfectly follow that calling, but he calls us. How many are just like me tonight, just humbled that he would call us? That he would call us, that he would want us, that he would... Listen, uh, there's a lot of other people that could be doing what we do a lot better, but God called us. He put us here. He, he placed us here. He strategically allows us uh, here in this place for this time to serve him. Are we going to do why he, what he put us here to do? We're going to spend the rest of our life doing what we find confidence and pleasure in. Peter here is reminded, because when he went back, what happened? He caught no fish. He caught nothing, the Bible says. How many of us can be reminded tonight that sometimes the difference between success and failure is the width of a ship? Sometimes the distance between success and failure is just obedience to Christ, just doing what he says. How many, like me, would have, when that call from the stranger who you didn't know, how many don't like backseat drivers like me? Don't like him. I was watching a show, and they were showing how in, a, in one of those older cars, how there were speedometers uh, that were in the backseat of the car. So that when the person who had a driver that would drive them around, they could see that they were going too fast. They could tell them how fast they were going and tell them to slow down or speed up. How many glad that that's changed? As a matter of fact, we'd like to hide it from the passenger side so they can't see it, right? Listen, I'm in the driver's seat. Let me drive, right? Uh, they say about 14% of accidents happen because of backseat or side seat driving. But I, I tell you, sometimes uh, in life, boy, it's kind of like that as the stranger calls from the shore. Are you with me? I'm a fisherman. I've spent all night fishing. The last thing I want is a critique from somebody not in the fishing business, who I have no relationship or don't even know, telling me to do something as absurd as putting the net on the other side of the boat. I mean, what's, what's the use in that? I mean, are you with me tonight? Would you be with me in thinking that perhaps somebody there in the boat would have said, this is a little stupid. 
We didn't catch it. What, the fish can't swim under the boat? If I put it on the other side of the boat, I mean, we're talking about, we're not talking about a huge fishing liner here. We're talking about a small fishing boat there in Galilee. And they were there, they're fishing with their nets. And, and he says, put your net on the other side. See, the problem was, is they had it on the wrong side. Of course, that was the problem. No, the problem was, is that they were in control and they thought they could do something in their power without Christ. And Jesus was about to prove them who was in charge. At one time, he said to them, to the winds and the waves, hey, why, what in the world, how, how long have I been with you that you guys think you're going to die? You're going to perish in a storm while I'm on the boat. Peace be still. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him and apparently also the fish. Apparently, that's what Jesus is going to show them. Listen, you don't provide for yourself anymore. I provide for you. I take care of you. When you do what I say, listen, you try to do what you want, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find what you're looking for. You're never going to attain. You're never going to have success because what you're looking for uh, as you serve the Lord is not success by the means uh, uh, and merits of the world, but good successes God can give. And he's saying, hey, listen, the only way to do that is through obedience to me. How many know that Success can only be found in the Christian life by obeying God. That's it. You know, if we haven't learned that, then we need to go back to Christianity 101. The very first thing that God teaches us is, I am the Lord. There is none other. I am God, thou shalt have no other gods. I mean, isn't that just basic? I'm the master. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I control all things. Trust me. You know what they were doing? Trying to take control of the situation again. Trying to say, okay, this is what we need to do. This is how we can handle it. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, hey, listen, fish, jump in the net. It's time to be caught. You know, God is in control of these situations in our lives. You know, uh, when we feel like there's nothing going right in life, you know it only takes a word from God and everything can go in the right direction. If we'll obey him and we'll trust him. If we won't analyze everything that God says and say, well, there's no logic in that. That's preposterous. Put your net on the other side. This is silly. You know, sometimes it says silly requests that God is wanting to know. Hey, who's the boss? Me or you? Who's in control? Me or you? You know, some people think they look at the word of God and they go, well, you know, I understood that I needed that when I was a younger Christian. But now that I'm know a little bit more about God's word. I've kind of outgrown what I need to obey. No, you never will outgrow the need to obey God. You'll never outgrow that. And God is constantly going to remind me and is going to remind you who's the boss, who's the master. Is it me or is it you? Because the moment you put your faith in your flesh and you put your confidence in the flesh, you're going to be met with failure and find yourself empty at the end of the night. God says, just trust me. Put your net on the other side because I'm still the master. And listen, what is it in your life right now that you need to just put your net on the other side? Think about it. Where you're in control and you're not listening to God. Where God has spoken to you and you're just saying, well, you know, you've benched yourself. You think you're disqualified anyway, so it doesn't really matter. God spoke and said, this is what I want. This is what's right. He's told you. Anybody like me takes God sometimes, a few times to tell you because you're a little thick. I'm like that. Stubborn, strong-willed, whatever you want, middle child, whatever you want to call it. That's me. How about you? Sometimes it's like, I told you, I told you. How many times am I going to tell you? You think, boy, God should only have to tell me once. Because every time I listen to him, every time I obey him, boy, it always works out. It always works out. With, I mean, is there any time where you've obeyed God? Listen, I understand that it may not work out according to the world's standards of success. I'm not saying you, you, you know, well, I obeyed in my tithing and now I'm a millionaire tonight, pastor. Maybe that's, you're looking for the wrong kind of success. But maybe you're not trying to control everything anymore. Perhaps there's peace that's in your heart tonight because you've turned areas of your life over to the Lord. But what is, what is the area of your life tonight where you're in control? 
where you're calling the shots, where you're just completely not even factoring God. Some people do that with their finances. Some people do that with their career. Some people do that with their education. Some people, they just, they just take control and say, this is what I'm going to do. And God's saying, this is what I want you to do. How many know that, listen, every single time God says it's so, it's so. And there's very few times where I say it's so that it actually is. How about you? Don't tell my wife. She's not here tonight. I hope she doesn't listen to that. There's, there's very few times where I'm right. You know when I'm right? When I listen to him, and I say what he says, and I do what he says. That's when I'm right. That's when you're right. But it doesn't matter if it works out the way you want it to. It wouldn't have mattered if Peter would have caught fish. He still would have been right if God wasn't in control. Number one, is Jesus your master? Number two, tonight, do you love Jesus? Oh, how I... We sing it, right? My Jesus, I... We sing it over the time. We tell him we love him. But what does he say to us? The proof of your love is whether or not you're obeying me. You're living out the purpose for which I've... I mean, you're conformed to my image. You're doing what I made you to do. I'm glad tonight that I'm not in a position where I'm serving God because I feel like I couldn't do anything else. I think there's a number of things, that, and I'm not trying to brag tonight, but I believe there's a number of things that I could do and be very successful. But here's the thing. I'm not doing what I'm doing because I'm a really good guy, and I'm not doing what I'm doing because I couldn't do anything else. I'm doing what I'm doing tonight is because what I know is this. I would never find satisfaction in doing anything else is that everything else, it doesn't matter what measure of success I would find in any other area, it wouldn't matter because I would not be able to pillow my head at night and say, I know that I'm doing what God made me to do. How many want to know that you're doing what God made you to do? I mean, you're just doing what God made you to do. You're fulfilling the purpose for which he put you in on this planet and gave you life. For all the people that don't have life tonight, for all the people that have lost their lives tonight, for all the uh, children who haven't been born, God chose to give you life, to give you a, a life on this earth. That wasn't an accident, was it? So if he selected you for life, if he gave you this life, why in the world do you think that he's given you the life? It's not so that you can live it for yourself. It's so that you can live it for him, to do what he made you to do. And God has uniquely made us to do some things, hasn't he? And here he is, he's talking to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him the question over and over and over again. You think about this tonight. Before Jesus sat down and preached to Peter, he gave him an opportunity to dry off and get warm and eat a meal and enjoy some fellowship. Aren't you glad for how God goes about things? Jesus wasn't just, as soon as Peter gets to the shore, beating him up. Jesus sat him down. Jesus fed him a meal. Jesus allowed him to fellowship. And then after that was all done, Jesus kind of got to the reason for the meeting, didn't he? Peter, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to put you back to work. I'm here to put you back to what I've called you to do. That's what I showed up for. Aren't you glad that when he does, you know, the the spiritual is more important than the physical. But how many of us know that caring for the physical can prepare the way for spiritual ministry? You know, we would be foolish to say, well, we don't need to worry about any of the physical things of the building or the church or anything, because none of that really matters. Listen, I'm with you that the spiritual is the most important. But how many know that in order to minister to someone spiritually, often you are going to have to meet their physical need? You're just going to have to put yourself in a position. You know, there's, there's people that, you know, that, that may call and, you know, they need help with this or need help with that. You know what I know? They need spiritual help. They need spiritual help. 
But you know what? Often I have to show them that I'm willing to do something for them physically, that I'm willing to, to, you know, whether it is to feed them a meal or to show care and concern or to show up to something and, and to be there for them and to physically try to meet a need before they're going to allow me to spiritually minister to them. You know, a lot of times we overlook that. Jesus didn't overlook that. He saw Peter had a physical need. He met his physical need. How many times did Jesus do that ministry? Didn't, did he overlook the physical needs of people? He didn't. He met their physical needs so as to meet their spiritual need. Let's remember that tonight. As we, we think, well, spiritual, spiritual. Listen, I'm, get, I'm getting it. That's the goal. That's where we're trying to get. But this idea that we don't have to be worried at all about the physical things. We do have to worry about the physical things because we have to get people. Listen, we have to get people here, right? Before those man, men that were bearing uh, their man that they wanted to get to Jesus could get them get him to Jesus so that he could, his needs could be met, they had to physically get him there, didn't they? They had to physically get him there. They had to find a way to get him in the door to where Jesus was. We have to attend to the physical needs first, but here Jesus comes to Peter, and the key issue is Peter's love for Jesus. You know, that should be a key matter with us today. But what did Jesus, what did he mean when he said, more than these, more than these? Was he saying, do you love me more than you love these other men? I don't think so. They all loved the Lord Jesus, even though they didn't always obey him completely. Did Jesus mean, do you love me more than you love these boats and nets and fish? I don't believe so. There's no evidence that Peter desired here to go permanently back in the fishing business. The question, I believe that he is aiming towards Peter's, do you love me as you have as you've claimed to love me? Remember Peter said this, I love you more than all of these. Peter said that. Peter said to Jesus, more than all of these other disciples, I love you the most. I love you more than these. That's what he's saying. You know, Jesus was just questioning Peter's resolve in the sense of, hey, remember when you said you love me more than anything? Remember when you said that you love me supremely? Remember when you said there would be nothing, not even death, that would keep you from following me because you love me? Perhaps tonight, what we need to do is to remember when we fell in love with Jesus. Do you remember? Do you remember? Listen, if there's never been a time where you fell in love with Jesus, maybe that's the problem tonight. Maybe the problem is, is that you just went through the motions. You never really fell in love with Christ. But do you remember when you fell in love with Jesus? Isn't it important to a relationship to remember when you fell in love? Let me help you out, guys. Yes, it is important. You know, a lot of times we have to remember the point to where we fell in love with someone because isn't there a need for us to often go back to that point? to remember when we fell in love, to remember when we made that commitment of love. You know, there's a need for us to re-evaluate and re, uh, recommit our love, isn't there? For us to come back often and say, I love you, I, I love you, just like I said I would, I love you. Remember at the marriage altar when you said, I will love you forever until death do us part? Listen, is there times where you've ever wavered in that love and commitment? Surely. Are there times where you loved you more than you loved your spouse? Are there times when you loved your, your dreams and your ambitions and your goals and maybe even your hobbies and the things that you enjoyed? Maybe your friends. Maybe you chose them in love over your spouse. There's times where we failed, haven't there? Are there been times where you just loved yourself and you didn't love anyone else, and you, including your spouse? You just didn't love them the way that you should. Haven't we all failed in our love? Jesus has never failed in his love for us. And Jesus is coming back uh, to Peter and saying, hey, listen, remember when you made your vow? Remember when you made your commitment to love me? Do you still love me? Hey, church, I have someone against you because you've left your first love. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the church? I have someone against thee, Revelation, because thou hast left thy first love. He says, he says, come back. Come back to your love and your love relationship with me. You say, well, of course I love Jesus. I'm commanded to. I'm, 
I have to love Jesus. I'm a Christian. But are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with the world? Are you in love with Jesus at this very moment? Is he, is your love for him supreme? More than anything else. That's the real question tonight. That's the real analysis that, that Jesus is asking Peter. Peter, do you love me supremely as you said you would? Well, that's convicting to me. I don't know about you. Think about this tonight. With the question of love came a command that came from it, didn't it? What did he say? He said, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Listen, let me me help us all tonight. You know, the greatest thing that I can do as a pastor is love Jesus. It's the greatest thing I can do. The greatest thing I can do as a father is love Jesus. The greatest thing I can do as a husband is love Jesus. Because I can never feed the sheep until I first can answer the question, do I love Jesus? I can never be a good husband until I can first answer the question, do I love Jesus? You see, our love for Jesus enables us to serve others. Until I love Jesus supremely, I am no good to myself or to anyone else. That's why it's best, if you're not married, to choose someone in marriage that loves Jesus. Some of the greatest advice I've ever heard in marriage is, Fall in love with someone who's in love with Jesus. So you have to ask for their heart. You have to to go to Jesus to get their heart. You have to to go to where they're, hey, listen, where they're they're loving Jesus in order for you to love them. You've got to be where they're at in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I wonder, are we looking sometimes for love in all the wrong places? Are we, are we, Truly looking for love from the one who is love, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we just looking for love and acceptance and everywhere that the Bible says we can't find it? In spite of his faults and his failures, Peter did indeed love the Lord. He wasn't ashamed to admit it. The other men were listening, I'm sure, to Peter's conversation. They were benefiting from the conversation. I'm sure they too had failed the Lord. Remember, all of them had run, all of them had fleed, all of them had left, save John. Here's Peter is being restored to apostleship and leadership, and the image, however, changes from that of the fisherman to that of the shepherd, though, doesn't it? Notice this. Peter is called to minister both as an evangelist, catching the fish, and as a pastor, shepherding the flock. You know what? It's unfortunate when we divorce these two because they should go together. Pastors should evangelize, 2 Timothy 4, 5, and then they should shepherd the people that they have won so that they mature in the Lord. You know, the best way to build a church is through evangelism and discipleship. By the way, it is the only biblical way to build a church. You know how a lot of people are trying to build a church? They're trying to build a church by finding a bunch of good Christians that hopefully live in the area and will come to the church. You know that is the worst way to build a church? The worst way to build a church is trying to catch somebody else's fish. It's already been caught and cleaned and uh, supposed to be somewhere else. But they left their church for varying degrees of reasons. And you're trying to catch them. You're trying to bring them in and hope that somehow we'll have a better church through the means. You know, the greatest uh, uh, impact uh, that you ever have on someone's life is winning them to Christ and discipling them. There is no greater influence that you can have on someone. The stronger a church, a church is only strong uh, by its ability to win the lost and disciple them. It's the only way a church is supposed to grow. Listen, if we're thinking that this church is going to grow because hopefully a bunch of Christians are going to move to the community, we're looking at it all wrong. We should be looking for lost people, seeking to preach the gospel to them, And I say we, and I know automatically a lot of times in the pews we think, yes, you, pastor, that's what you should be doing. That's what you should be focused on. I say we, I'm talking about the church, the people, us. It's our job. Evangelism is our job. It's what God was calling Peter to. I will make you a fisher of men, someone who's going to catch men to the glory of God. 
But then also, what did he make him? He not only made him an evangelist, but he also made him a pastor. By the way, there are a few evangelists that I know who are true evangelists. Because an evangelist is not someone who goes from church to church to bring revival to a church full of Christians. Evangelists are people who are supposed to be given to the ministry of evangelism. Think about that. The Bible says do the work of an evangelist. And by the way, he calls every pastor to do the work of an evangelist. There are few evangelists that I believe are real evangelists. And there are few pastors who are doing the work of evangelism. It's broken. We're supposed to be evangelists. We're supposed to be winning the lost. And we're supposed to be pastoring the sheep as well. God says win the lost, but also care for the ones that come in that have been saved. That's important. It's a duality in our ministry. By the way, there's a balance that we have to constantly be trying to find. Hey, a lot of times, the sheep can just monopolize all the time. And we stop fishing. You know, I get convicted when that happens. When all my time is monopolized by shepherding the sheep when I'm not going fishing. You know, there needs to be a time where we say, in our spiritual ministry, I need to go fishing. You know what fishing means? It means going somewhere with the intention of catching something. It's amazing. It's that simple, isn't it? But a lot of times we go out on soul winning with no intention whatsoever of catching anything. It's like we're not even baiting the hook. You see the problem with that? I mean, we're going out already assigned to defeat. Not Probably not going to catch anything. You know, I, I understand why churches stop soul winning. Because if that's your attitude from the beginning, there's no point in going. If I met fishermen that went out on the boat every day and they just said, well, we're probably not going to catch anything, you know what i tell them? Maybe you should stop being a fisherman. You know, the people that go out and say, I'm going to catch. I'm going to get something. I mean, I'm going to come back with something. You say, well, it's not up to us. I understand. But didn't God call us to it? Didn't God say this is what you need to do? Didn't God say that when you do it that I'm going to bless that I will bring, I will, I mean, God is going to bring people into his church if we'll go out with the intention of catching some of them. But it's so sad when we're so defeated that we think, boy, I'm just not going to, cast your net on the other side, obey God. There's a lot of fish to catch. There's a lot of fish to catch. The sad thing in the church is we think that we're done catching fish now. Let's just shut the doors, hope somebody wanders in, If they figure out it's a church at all and they decide they want to come, then maybe they will. Listen, how about go out and find them? How about go out into the deep and cast your nets? I mean, don't you have to launch out from the shore? I understand that's a little precarious. I understand that that's also inconvenient. But if we're not, come on, this is Sunday night church. If we're going to come to church twice a day and come back on Sunday night, i got to be speaking to a group of people who are a little crazy for the Lord. Come on. So what in the world? Why are we not willing to hazard ourselves for the gospel's sake? Are we afraid that someone's going to say no to us? Where are the Pauls? I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that it has power or not? Do we believe that it only has power for us? When's the last time you went soul winning? Well, it just got real, didn't it? When's the last time you went soul winning? I told you practical tonight. Do you love me? Go catch some fish. Do you love me? When you catch them, feed them. You know, the other sad part of uh, the extreme on the other side, the pendulum swing that we're seeing in churches today, people that go out and get a lot of professions for the sake of reporting soul winning numbers and never feed them. What's the point then? How do we even know if what you're saying is true? Where are they all at? By the way, these are questions that God asks in his word, not that I'm asking. If they are truly born again, then where are they? I mean, didn't you bring them with you? A lot of times the the pendulum swing goes the other way. We go to extremes, don't we, as human beings? We go from one extreme of we don't tell anybody about Jesus. Then we go to the other extreme that we just get people to pray prayers so that we can report numbers so we can feel good about winning people to Christ. 
That's, that's wrong altogether. Both sides, by the way. Those are ditches on both sides of the road. I want to stay out of both ditches. I want to stay on the road. How about you? Here's the truth tonight. God calls us to do both professions, doesn't he? Win the lost. Disciple the ones you win. Here's a question tonight. When's the last time you went soul winning? Do you love Jesus? When's the last time you went soul winning? Here's the follow-up question. Who are you discipling? I thought that was up to ministry students. No, no. Every true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ that is a disciple is making disciples. That's what God says. Do you know that we have both a soul-winning and a discipleship ministry right now active in our church? You know the only thing you have to do is show up? It's all ready for you. It's all prepared. You know we have gospel tracks. You know we actually set a time to go out. Well, I knew that. When's the last time you came? Well, I never have time. Well, don't we understand? You've got to make time. If you were going to go on a fishing trip, would you have to make time for it? You've got to make time to do it, don't you? And we do what's important to us. Well, it's been years, Pastor. Well, come on back. I understand you went back to your former profession, but that doesn't mean that God's given up on you. Come on back. I understand you may feel disqualified. It may feel awkward. You say, well, I'm done. Listen, when did, did Jesus say you were done or did you say you were done? I'm preaching to me tonight. I'm preaching to me tonight. I know you don't believe that, but I am. Soul winning, shepherding, fishing, discipleship. What's he saying? You got to do both. You got to do both. If you truly love the souls of men, you'll preach the gospel to them and then you'll seek to disciple them. You know, it wouldn't hurt you to grab a discipleship book that we have and ask somebody to have a Bible study with you outside the church? Yes. Where it's most effective. You know, things can happen outside the walls of the church. We can actually live the Christian life outside these walls. Can I say that that was actually the intention that Christ gave us? We're not coming in here to pretend like we've been living for Christ. We're coming here because we have been living for Christ. We're just coming in to celebrate Christ. We're coming to encourage each other. Listen, I understand that this is confrontational tonight, but I'm telling you tonight, I can't preach a message in the morning on confrontation and correction and not do it. I mean, a church that is not winning souls and a church that is not concerned. Listen, what are we waiting for? Is the church going to grow without us doing that? Either you're waiting for more Christians to move into the neighborhood and hopefully they'll come to the church, or you're actually looking for lost people. Let me ask you a question. Do you find any lost people throughout the day? Isn't it rare for you to find a Christian? I mean, a real Christian? Aren't you surprised when it happens? There's a Christian. I met a Christian. It's like meeting somebody from, from Mars. I met a real Christian, somebody that really loves the Lord. Listen, you don't have no problem meeting lost people. There's a lot of fish in the sea, aren't there? Why don't you bait your hook and throw it out there? I'm not talking about with our bait. I'm talking about with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Is the gospel attractive? Sure is. There's nothing more attractive than the gospel. And there is nothing more attractive than a church that loves the gospel. I tell you, people want to go to a church that loves the gospel. You know where people don't want to go to church? A church that's not living the gospel, preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about, you say, Pastor, we preach the gospel. You preach it every week. No, I'm talking about we preach the gospel. We preach it every week. You with me? That's what the church is supposed to do. You know, every successful church in America and around the world today, the only reason why they have success is because they do these things. Imagine, it's what God said to do. It's the only reason why he left us here to do. Isn't it amazing how we just leave the most simple things that he leaves us? It wouldn't matter how good our programs are, how nice our facilities are, how good our... Listen, it doesn't matter if we don't preach the gospel. When's the last time you went soul winning? When's the last time you discipled someone?
I understand the discipleship is more than a book. But start somewhere, please. Teach someone God's word. Most important thing the pastor can do is love Jesus Christ. Because then you can love the sheep. You can't love others until you love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? And the last thing, I'm done. I'll take a, a, just a couple minutes here. Will you follow Jesus? Last question. Will you follow? Verses 18 through 25, I'm, we've read them. I'm, you can look at them later. Verse 19, the end of verse 19, the last two verses, two words, follow me, follow me. What does it say here? Verse 22, follow thou me. You think the Lord is trying to remind those disciples to keep following him? Keep following me, keep following me. Here's a question tonight, who do you follow? Are you following Jesus or are you following yourself? You're following your ambitions. You're following somebody else. We're all following someone. I understand that as I'm talking tonight to the leaders in the church, so I didn't look at myself that way. It's the truth. You are. You know how I know that? Because you're here on Sunday night. You're leaders. You see the purpose. You see the point in what we're doing. You understand it. You're for this. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, literally. You don't think I get that? I'm not preaching to my critics. I'm not preaching to people who don't want to be here. You're here. You want to be here. Listen, I believe with all my heart you're here tonight because you want to see this church grow. You want to see God do great things. You're given every week for that purpose. You're serving every week for that purpose. I believe that with all my heart. But what I'm saying is we cannot replace doing those things with what God's already told us to do. We can't say we're not going to be soul winners and we're not going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll pay someone else to do it. You can't pay someone else to do what only you can do. You can't pay someone else to follow Jesus for you. and You can't pay someone else to witness for you. And you can't pay someone else to love Jesus for you. Only you can do that. Are you doing it? Because you can forget two services, growth plans, all that garbage. You say, it's, it's your plan. You're calling it garbage. I'm calling it garbage if we don't do what God says. You know, the, the, the whole point to this is not that my faith is in having two service times. We already had three service times. My faith is not in, we, we could have a service time every single day of the week. If we won't go soul winning, you can forget the whole thing. We have got to go and do what God's called us to do. And I need to do it and you need to do it. Could you imagine, could you imagine what our church would be like if we were all completely, supremely in love with Jesus Christ and we believed with all of our heart in the power of the gospel and we took it everywhere we went. Could you imagine what could happen? I tell you, we wouldn't be able to build buildings fast enough. You say you believe that? Absolutely. The net didn't break when they caught the fish. They had so many, there were more than could fit in the net. God has the ability to put the capacity greater than even the ability for the material, the physical, to hold the capacity. You're with me? That's the ability of our God. Can he do more than this? I am not. This is, this is the truth tonight. I will never be satisfied, and I hope I never will be, with a work that I could accomplish in my flesh. I'll be honest tonight. I can get people to come to church. I can get them to visit. I can't save them but I can give them the gospel. I'm not just trying to get people to visit. I want people to get saved. You with me tonight? You know, for me, it's been far too long and that tank's been filled. I mean, I've been going to God. God, what's wrong? Is it me? Is it me? Am I doing something wrong? How many know the baptistry tank is not a place to store Christmas decorations? 
You know how many churches where that's all that's in the baptistry tank? It's Christmas decorations. They haven't filled it with with water in so long because they haven't seen somebody come to Christ. And I'll tell you tonight, I've assigned myself to quit everything else I do and go and knock on every door in this town until I find somebody. We've got to break. We've got to be willing to go. Boy, it's against our flesh, though, isn't it? It's so hard because we get so comfortable, so happy we're going to heaven. We forget why we're here. We love that missionaries do it. We expect them that when we send them, boy, they better be going out souling. What about us? How many churches would lose their support if they were missionaries because they're not going out evangelism? Let's do something. Let's make a difference. Come on, if, if we're just a ripple, let's make a big splash. I mean, let's do something. I don't want to go to the end of this thing and have the Lord Jesus Christ come back and say, you could have done more. How about you? I mean, can we do more than what we're doing tonight? Maybe what we need to do tonight is just come and say, God, I've sinned because I don't have any faith in the gospel. I had faith in it for me, but I haven't had faith in it for anybody else for a long time. God, I've not been soul winning, and I've not been discipling. But tonight I'm making a decision. I'm going to do it. You know, that could bring revival to the church. Could. A lot of times we think revival is just something somebody brings in a suitcase with them when they come to be a guest speaker at the church. Revival is when we come back to life, church. And coming back to life is winning souls, making disciples. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.